To work for the National Basketball Association, to be on the inside in the NBA would be considered the pinnacle of success for many people. One man was on the inside, but now he says he's entered into a bigger and better stadium. He's Chuck Taché, I'm John Bradshaw, and this is our conversation. Chuck Tashe, thanks so much for being here. Hey, praise God. Thank you for having me. Yep. It is a pleasure. Hey, let's go back to the beginning. So, so, so we, you, you, you spent some years on the inside of the National Basketball Association. Yeah. But let's go back. Where, where did you spring from? Erie, Pennsylvania is actually where I guess you can say is my hub. Uh, when I was 10 years old, we moved back. My mother and my sister, we moved back to Erie, Pennsylvania. And so I, um, that's where I grew up. So where did, you, where did your love for sport come from? Uh, my love of sport, if you want to talk about person, it was my father, pretty much. Um, baseball was a very big thing. Him and I used to play a lot of baseball. Uh, I just grew up uh, that um, that sports was big in my family and um, loved uh, grew up watching the uh, Oakland Raiders. My father knew somebody from the Oakland Raiders, and so NFL was big, and and uh, I just, I loved, I loved that arena, I loved sports. Now, at the same time, so you, you ended up making a career in professional sports, but at the same yes. time, as a kid, you were, you were raised in a Christian home. I was. I was actually raised in an in, in Adventist Christian home and went to church. I loved going to church. Uh, I was one of those kids that loved going to Sabbath school. I loved talking about God, learning about Jesus Christ. Uh, it was very dear to my heart. In fact, uh, when I was nine years old, we were actually in Nebraska, and my mother and I went to a Heritage Singers concert. Nice, yeah. And uh, they had an altar call. And at nine years old, I went down and uh, gave my life to Christ. Wow. I was very strong in, in faith um, at my younger, younger years. Now, in another, in another conversation, I had a fellow sitting right where you were, and he, he described how sport ended up being a pull in his life that kind of angled him away from God and he saw some some warning signs. It's not that sport is inherently evil. There's a lot yeah. a lot to be said for camaraderie and exercise and physicality and team spirit and all that stuff. But somewhere along the line, it seems that your love for sport and your love for God ended up just conflicting a little bit. It did. When I was, uh, you know, sports was great, uh, pretty much weekdays and so forth. I didn't really have any conflict with the Sabbath. And uh, even at that time, when I, if I did, I chose at a younger age, nope, I'm not going to do that. And, uh, but as I got older, when I, when I started playing football, football, I really loved playing football. It gave me a lot of character. You're talking about sports. Sure. It does. The camaraderie um, and um, some things that occurred in my life when I got into on that football field, um, it really helped me confidence-wise, and it helped me build the character that I believe that I have today. But then I went to public school, and well, my junior year of, of high school was really when, okay, I'm going to be varsity. Now it was this realization that Friday night football games, the Friday night lights, and or Saturday afternoons, and I had to make a decision. And... Uh, it was a struggle for about this much, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, but it was a struggle. But I was like, no, the draw was too strong for me. And I said, no, I'm playing football. And, um, you know, that one little step 
sometimes actually then blurs other areas of of your walk with God. You know, I think I think we when we're kids and when we're parents, we've got to think through what we might be setting us our kids up for or where our kids might be going. The church got to be mindful of this as well. You mentioned the Sabbath, so as a Seventh Day Adventist, you were raised to observe the Seventh Day Sabbath according to the Bible from sunset Friday to sunset Saturday, and it and it meant something to you more than just an hour at church. That yeah. day was sacred time. I remember talking to a young fellow; he was a high school senior, and he'd been offered a full ride at a university in New York City to wrestle. And it was so. What are you going to do, man? And he's like, Ah, I'm going to be true to God. I'm not going to take it. And a week later, he was on the plane. Five years at a, at a, at a big-time university in New York City versus who knows what. And we might talk about the versus who knows what because it, it always works out best when you go God's way. But Amen. as a young guy, Amen. there was a conflict. It was difficult. So it began with the Friday Night Football, yeah? Yeah, it began, uh, it began with that. But, you know, what's interesting is, of course, uh, in high school and now you're on the football team and you're the varsity and, you know, other things kind of fall into play with that. Yeah. I injured myself in my senior year, and that's actually where sports medicine came in to to uh, play. Yeah, tell was, me about that. I, well, I injured myself, and I went to a sports medicine, uh, Hammond Sports Medicine, and um, a physical therapist took care of my shoulder. I really loved that. That was it was a uh, I, I enjoyed what you know, like taking care of myself and so forth, and that drew me into that kind of of realm. And so that's kind of where sports medicine was birthed. It was more physical therapy at that time. And so I was wondering that kind of was, is that something that I might be interested in? So what happened with your relationship with God? You're a young guy, you're in high school, Friday nights now, you're not following as closely to your, your, the principles you were raised with. Where'd that go? Well, it, it really went from, uh, I, I still went to church, but then there's a, uh, thing of playing church. So I'd go to church, and I will tell you, I still loved it. I mean, you know, sure. God didn't leave my heart, but I kind of, I like to say that I put God, I said, all right, come on, I'm going to drag you along wherever I am. But I got into different said arenas that, um, you know, it got me into uh, doing some things on, on the weekends and uh, before, with high school friends. And buddy, yeah, you know. Um, that uh, were not godly, definitely, yeah. and uh, and then that actually continued in in college as well. You know, I wasn't a bad kid. Sure, it wasn't like I was breaking the law, um, and I was doing bad bad things. Sure, um, but there's a whole different arena out there that Satan wants to get a hold of you. I, I, I think you're touching on something really important, and that is. It's not about being a, a good kid or a bad kid, but what I'm hearing you say, and correct me if I'm wrong, you, the secular began to overtake the sacred. Very much so. And this is, what, this is what we've all got to guard against. We all live in this world, and it's a very secular world. So it's a matter of, of, of keeping the secular out to the degree that it doesn't overtake you and numb your spiritual perceptions. And, and did... Talk to me about that, that drift that went on. Describe that. I don't want to get into the gory details, but what's going on in your mind and in your heart? Uh, I remember as a young, a young Christian, not a Sabbath-keeping Christian, becoming successful in my career, and, and it just got easier to be slack about the spiritual, and slowly that just started to 
occupied a less important place in my life. Not that I didn't care about God, but it was maybe I'll get back to you when I'm done doing my thing. Yeah, that, that's 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 pretty much it. And uh, in the younger years, I guess you can say, you know, I'm hanging out with my friends and uh, 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 doing things I know that wasn't supposed to really was supposed to be doing. Satan presents, you know, sin can be fun, sure. and and uh, and that's what it was. It became more of, I'm I'm going to have some fun, and look at me, I'm with uh, some uh, great group of guys, and I'm on the football team, and we hang out, and you know, you kind of walked with a little step, oh yeah, and uh, you know, it it just it did it, that that secular kind of took over uh, my life, and. Now my direction, my mind was not towards God. It was towards what is it that I want to do? What do I want to do in my in my future? So where did your career go initially? So my career went, uh, oh, I, I graduated, well, I went to college, and then the real quick when I uh, I saw a, a, a coat that a, a gentleman had on in between my freshman and sophomore year of college, and it had Edinburgh University Sports Medicine. And I'm like, where did you get that coat? And he just got startled. And he goes, well, I'm an, a student trainer. And I went, I went directly to the training room area. I didn't really quite know what that sports medicine and athletic training was all about. When I walked in, I said, I want to be a student trainer. So I filled out my application. I actually have my first application that oh, I yeah. ever did. And when I walked into that training room, I'm just going to tell you, um, I was home. That was... It was, I can picture it now, just the smell, the atmosphere, the everything. That's where I was going to be. And from that time on, I was going to be in the pros. That's where I was going. I became a student trainer and uh, through college. Um, it was just fantastic. I, I really excelled in it. And explain to me what a trainer does. So an athletic trainer, thank you for, thank you for that question because a lot of people think, uh, an athletic trainer trains athletes. It's really not. If you take a look at physical therapy, physical therapy, people, most people know what physical therapy is. An athletic trainer is, is sports medicine. It's really physical therapy directly with athletes. And you can work in a various different areas. Sports is your big area. And, um, and so when an athlete gets injured, those players that you're the, when the player gets injured, if you watch sports, the, uh, and you see them running out there, and they're taking a look at the, that's an athletic trainer. And there's so much more behind the scenes with rehabilitation and so forth. And taping, you see the tape on their arms. I love doing that stuff. And it, it's so funny how it's evolved over the years. When I was a kid and we played rugby, uh, there was usually somebody on the sideline with a bottle of magic water. <laughs> and we'd refer to it as the magic water. Yeah. Some guy would be down on the ground and he just got wiped out. Someone broke him in two in a tackle. And they come out and pour a little magic water on his, yeah. rub his knee, and he's up. Get and he's gone. Good. You know, it's just, just the most astonishing thing. Who knows what kind of injury that guy was carrying around? What, yeah. he, what, what kind of rehab he needed or maybe physical therapy or some, something. But, these, you know, you, you play, you get hit, you limp for a week, you get back on the field and end up banging yourself into oblivion, which is probably not a great thing. I couldn't even lift my arm one time yeah. in playing. And it was like Coach said, can you move your arm? I went. He goes, all right, You're get back fine. in there. Get back out there. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. And it's changed now, hasn't it? Oh, definitely, it's really definitely. Changed. You know, and particularly in professional sports and uh, working in the NBA, you're talking about million-dollar athletes. You know, now there's an investment there. 
And so uh, you got to be on your game, and you got to be good. And uh, you know, I I felt really privileged to to be there. So somehow, you as a student trainer, you decide in your heart, I want to work in the pros. Well, you did. So so talk to me about that road from college to ending up actually doing this thing for a living, and in the area that you dreamed about working in. So what's interesting is I played sports Friday night, Saturday, and guess what I did as an athletic trainer? I covered. Friday night football games, Saturdays, all of those things. It just continued to be a whirlwind in my life. That was my focus now. God was kind of on the side. And uh, I worked there a couple of years, and I decided I need to get to a, a bigger, a bigger uh, city. And so I moved to Atlanta, Georgia. And I just, just by chance, whether by chance, who knows what, but I met a, uh, a gentleman. Him and I became like joined at the hip good friends, almost like brothers, and just so happened he helped out with the Atlanta Hawks. And uh, I went and um, I kind of pushed my way in, and players got to know me, and trainer, head trainer got to know me, and I started helping out with them and volunteering. From there, I was working my way now in the NBA. I really liked the NFL, but NBA was kind of my road. Ted Turner owned the Atlanta Hawks. Basketball Basketball, basketball, NBA, yeah, National Basketball Association. He owned the Atlanta Hawks. He also owned a company called World Championship Wrestling. Now, I was working my way to the NBA, but um, all of a sudden they wanted an athletic trainer for World Championship Wrestling. This is professional wrestling. And if anybody, the one name that I think you can bring out, uh, some people may not know professional wrestling, is Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan was kind of the iconic. Sure, you don't even have to know anything about wrestling. Yeah. To know Hulk Hogan, right. he was a ma- still re- is really a massive personality. So, my friend was close to getting in the NBA. He said, "I'm not. I wouldn't take that job." He said, "But that job's for you." So I interviewed, and um, but they, I became the head, not the head athletic, the athletic trainer for World Championship Wrestling. Have mercy that's for a, that, four years. That's an interesting thing, isn't that? What, that's a detour on the way to the NBA. But so so. You got to tell me something about that. These guys have got to be. I mean, I, I know it's, a lot of it's pretty well staged and choreographed yeah. and so forth. But for all that, I couldn't do that stuff choreographed. So, what do they go through physically, and what are you patching up as a trainer with these guys? It, it's incredible what what people don't know when they're flying around. One, the skill level that they have in yep. regards to flying and landing on people just right. But you know, they didn't land on people just right many times. Right. I probably had, as, as an athletic trainer, more injuries in professional wrestling than I think anywhere else that I worked, it seemed like. Sure. Uh, just, they battered their body. And it was, it was actually really great. I was the first athletic trainer that I know of, the first athletic trainer in professional wrestling. And it was a very interesting dynamics that I came in, and that's kind of an inside little yeah. area. And here I am, an outsider. It had to be interesting for the for the athletes too, because they'd never had a trainer sticking his nose in their business before. It, that's exactly right. And so I actually had a, a professional wrestler that was a uh, played for the Los Angeles Rams and in the NFC Championship, and he sat down with me. He said, "Chuck," and they called me Coach. Actually, oh, I, how about that? I don't know where that yeah. came, but now I'm still Coach, and sure. that's a whole no, that's another story. But uh, they called me coach, and he said, coach, he said, let us come to you. He said, you just sit. He goes, you do your thing, get yourself set up. He goes, 
He goes, they'll start seeing what your worth is. He goes, I know what your worth is. And I would work on him before the, his matches. And all of a sudden, gradually, people started um, seeing him. Then I was busy and taping the guys up and taking care of them. But then I was working on the road, too. So I would work from usually on the road Thursday nights or Friday nights. We'd have a Friday night match, Saturday night match, Sunday night. And then it turned into Monday night nitro. And now I'm on the road. That's, that was my life. Was I was, uh, And um, the road is... Um, uh, definitely not a godly area sure. to be in, and you know that was that was kind of my focus. Yeah, you hear some stories about these guys uh, hair raising, but let me let me ask you this: just a technical question. Yeah. How, how often are these guys wrestling? So uh, the um, no the 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 main the mainstayers. So when you had when Hulk Hogan actually came into WCW, we'll say that, and then the you had the. Uh, New World Order that ended up sure. coming in, yeah. those, and uh, those were the headliners. Those were those, uh, and we would go on the road, and sometimes we might have a Thursday night match, but many times it was we flew out. I flew out on Thursday or Friday. They would they, we'd wrestle every week. It was just, a, and we would go to towns. So we would work. We would do a live show on a Friday night, and we would do a live show on a Saturday night, and we'd do a live show. On a Sunday night, or we excuse same me, guys we, wrestling, same guys wrestling, and then we'd have Monday Night Nitro. Now, along with that, we also had pay per views, right? So you had your uh, Halloween Havoc or your, you know, your whatever the, yeah, the whatever big the, event. Or, yeah, the yeah. big bash or or whatever, and and but so you might have a Saturday night there, you might have a Sunday night, depending on when they decided to match. But they wrestled every week. And, uh, you know, sometimes maybe they would mix up some of the guys. Of course, I was always there. But uh, you might mix some of the guys. But they were wrestling every week. And the injuries, back injuries, yeah, definitely knee injuries. I had some interesting, a lot of people talk about ACLs. Sure. ACL injury, that can be the life uh, of an athlete injured, yeah. you know, done. And um, But they would get PCL injuries. You have a posterior cruciate yep. ligament. And they would drop to their knees when they would fall. And they would take that, not to get in the anatomical, but the tibia, and they'd just drop that thing in just constantly. And I'd have PCL injuries. I actually had a guy rupture his uh, quadricep tendon, the complete four-muscle group, just ruptured and just rolled right up. Yeah. And so it was those kind of injuries. And um, Man, I can feel that. Yeah. <laughs> in just a moment, we're going to talk about your journey into the NBA and what that was like, your journey into, out of, into, out of. Oh, and- right, yeah. And back to Jesus. He's Chuck Tache. I'm John Bradshaw. This is Conversations brought to you by It Is Written. We'll be back with more in just a moment. You know that at It Is Written, we are serious about studying the Word of God, and we encourage you to be serious as well. Well, here's what you do if you want to dig deeper into God's Word. Go to itiswritten.study for the It Is Written Bible Study Guides online. 25 in-depth Bible studies that will take you through the major teachings of the Bible. You'll be blessed, and it's something you'll want to tell others about as well. itiswritten.study. Go further. itiswritten.study. Welcome back to Conversations brought to you by It Is Written. My guest is Chuck Tache, who for a number of years was a trainer in the National Basketball Association, the NBA. So a moment ago, 
you with the WCW, yeah, patching up wrestlers, uh, putting guys back together again after their hard falls, and 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 we discussed it. there might be some theatrics involved, but this is it's athleticism with Definitely. real big guys throwing themselves around. Yeah. So well, you were there for a while on the road, yeah. tough lifestyle. I think it's pretty easy to figure out. You, the matches go into the evening, then it's hotels and it's back on the road and hotel bars. Yeah, yep. yeah, it's yeah. a tough lifestyle for yeah. these guys. So you were there for a while, but you got out. Yeah. And then you went to, tell me about that. Well, so, uh, you know, my dream was always, that was only a stop. So sure. NBA, NBA, NFL was always where well, I wanted to go. That was the destination. And, but uh, NBA is where I had a lot of connections. And uh, there was some other positions that I thought that I would get, particularly on the East Coast. I was uh, ra- uh, raised in the East Coast, so I thought I was going to be in the East Coast. So I thought Orlando Magic, I had an opportunity to maybe work for them. No, that door shut. And Atlanta Hawks, I helped out with them. And I, when a position opened up, I thought, well, I'll get that. No, that door shut. And uh, um, the one position that uh, opened up, the head athletic trainer for the Sacramento Kings called me. And I remember when I got that call, the official call, I was in Detroit, Michigan. We were just before we were just doing a show. And I had those big cell phones. And, and uh, he said, Chuck, he goes, um, I want you to be my assistant athletic trainer. And I uh, just, uh, it, it was hard for me to even imagine. I sat there after I got off the phone and just taking a deep breath and saying, I made it. I'm, I'm going to be in the NBA. Yeah, dreams and, come true. And, and, and we uh, packed up and drove to California. My grandmother, who was a very godly woman, and and uh, I really looked up to her in that fashion. And she said to me, um, I remember I can picture her, and she said, Chuck, she goes, I, I don't want to see you go to California. She goes, but I believe God wants you in California. She goes, I just, God, that's where God's directing you. And I'm like, no. It's the Sacramento Kings. Uh, yeah. But yeah. I guess so, yes. You know, Grandma, you know. Omi was, I called her. And so uh, I came to California. I, I know there are people watching us and they're saying, man, this guy got involved in professional sports. It was fun from a worldly point of view, suicidal from a spiritual point of view. And I don't think you're really going to disagree with that. No. Uh, but I think your grandmother was right. Once you step from here to here, God does not stop directing you. I've, I've, I've seen, this, seen this in my own life when I worked in a very secular industry. God led me from here to here to here to here within that mess because he knew that's how he's going to lead me on out. So it's fascinating, too, that the Lord was leading you. He wasn't leading you to the kings. He was leading you to the king of kings. But yes. at the same time, it's so fascinating. He gave you the desire of your heart knowing that in that environment, you'd end up a man after his heart. It's just fascinating how God works, isn't it? Pricks of the heart, I call them. I have different stories that occurred in my life from WCW to um, the Kings to any, any in my life. There were just these little pricks of the heart that God would remind me and say, hey, by the way, Chuck, remember me? You loved me. You loved me, right. don't you? You want to be, and I would feel that but um, my life was so, I was so centered sure. on where I wanted to go. Uh, one thing that I remember was I was in the United Center uh, where the Chicago Bulls and everyone knows the Michael Jordan and, the, and that team and, 
and everything. It was 97. Michael Jordan came back and, and so forth. So it was, you know, they were iconic a little earlier than that. However, it, I stood there, center court, Chicago Bulls, um, uh, that logo, that logo, that iconic logo. And I just looked around and I'm like, and I see my team practicing over here. And, and I'm like, that's my team. And here I am at the United Center. I've arrived. Mm. It, was a, it was an incredible, incredible feeling that, um, you know, not many people get that opportunity. And here I am that I'm here. Yeah. And, um, and it, it was a good so Kings team, too. It was, it was a good Kings team that first year. Uh, we actually didn't make the playoffs. But um, then in 1998. Yeah, then it opened. But you see, in 1997, if I continue on, that um, near, near the Christmas time, uh, we were down in the locker room, down in the training room, and Shriners Hospital, they bring the kids to Arco Arena, where that was where the Kings were. And, they, uh, and the kids interact with the players. And I was down there in my office, and I told the head athletic trainer, I said, I think I'm going to go upstairs and um, just watch the kids, the players interact with the kids. I enjoyed that. So I went up there. And I have to just tell you that I, uh, I got there, and somebody caught my eye. Uh, a girl caught my eye. and Because, of course, they had to have the nurses um, come with the, with, the, with the kids. And I walked over, and and uh, introduced myself, and I said, hi, how you doing, and, and so forth. And we started having this conversation. It was a God-led conversation because somehow we got on to why, where we went to college. And I said, well, I went to Edinburgh University of Pennsylvania. Probably wouldn't know that school. Where did you go? And uh, she said, she goes, oh, I went to a small school in, in, uh, in the south. You know. I go, well, where did you go? She goes, I went to Southern University. And I'm like, oh, Southern so she looks at me and she goes, are you an Adventist? How did I answer that? I, I don't know how to answer that because I wasn't, to me, I, was I even a Christian at that time? I wasn't even an Adventist. And I said, um, well, I was raised Adventist. I don't remember everything I said, of course. Well, of course, you know, there was, I was attracted to meet her, right? So that's, but she goes, oh, she goes, with me saying that, she goes, you should uh, come to um, the church where my husband is the youth pastor. And of course, you know, I just was like, yeah, I should. You know, so, but what a wonderful, what a wonderful woman. And, um, and just the conversation, you could tell dispositions. I honestly believe you can tell when somebody is just... The purity, the, the 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 goodness. There's a love. There's just something there that they walk with. Think think about how God set you up for this. Yeah. What I mean is, there you were. You're drifting from God. You get into this very secular thing. You were c- c- kind of, on a certain sense, done with God. Maybe you get back to Him later. He yeah. wasn't. He wasn't in your front pocket. He was way in your back pocket somewhere, or yeah. you left him yeah. back home on on the, <laughs> on the kitchen counter. And God drops a Christian woman. Boom! Right there. And it wasn't just. This spoke to you. I mean, I'm assuming this spoke to your heart. This was a this was a kind of a wake up call. More than you, more than you know, because of course, uh, being on the road and just in the general sense of secularism, um, the women that I would go out with, the women that I meet, uh, were not Christians, and I wasn't necessarily looking for a Christian woman. However, as you said, my heart desires was actually wanting something like that. So that worked on me. So that conversation and her 
she it worked on me to say, and God would now, we started conversing, God and I, and he'd be say, you know, you, wanted a, you want a woman like that, right? You want a really nice woman, good Christian woman, Chuck, don't you? And I'm like, well, yeah, I kind of do. Well, you know, God, tell you what, you, you bring a good Christian woman to me. Maybe I might start walking my way towards you. How about that? We can work that one out, huh, God? And God just flat no. It was definitely a flat no. He's like, no, Chuck. He goes, you're coming to me. You're going to change because there's no Christian woman that should or would go out with you. No, they shouldn't. And in the condition that you're in. So you're coming to me. So you had the sense you had the sense that God was calling you. But man, you're at the you're at the you're at the you're at the height of your powers. You're at the top of your game. You're working in the NBA. <laughs> the Kings made the playoffs. You had you had guys like Vladi Divac and Chris before, Webber. That was before that. that was, was before. This was this was before. Okay. This was before. No, but, sure. Yeah, okay, so this is sure. in the back of your mind. And boom, now you're working with with bona fide superstars. Yeah. yeah. So you, well, this is this is a conflict. I mean. You you now professionally, this is big stuff, and and it's not just that you had a a, a team that was firing well yeah. back at Arco, but you're on the road and you're yeah. you're, you're you're turning up at the Staples yeah. Center to see Kobe and Shaq play, and you go yeah. to you mentioned the United Center, and there's yeah. there's Michael Jordan, the greatest player ever lived. How yeah. in the world did you get out of that, and how did you even want to get out of that? Well, um, in that time. Uh, again, you know, the 97-98 was the Mitch Richmond year. So just, a, you know, it was the year before I, God gave me the privilege to work with, with uh, the um, Chris Weber and so right. forth, the year a- after that. Yeah. Um, but that year that I left um, was with the Mitch Richmond kind of era. Oh, you left there? Yeah, I left. I actually, what ended up happening was that continued to work on my heart. And God is good because he, he says, you know what? He goes, you're going to stay on off the road. So the head trainer goes, hey, Chuck, I want you to, um, we have an athlete that's injured, and you're going to do rehab with them. And so I did rehab, and he said it would be better off the road. Just so happens, I thought, of that invitation, I'm going to go to um, Central Seventh-day Adventist Church. And I did, and I went, and I heard the sermon, and I actually got up on the altar call, I want to tell you, I got up, it touched my heart. I got up and nobody talked to me. It was incredible. And I kind of slid back down. And people go, that facial expression is great because you see, go, well, what church would do that? Well, God was basically making a point. I know, saying, you're not ready for this. You're not ready for this commitment. I got to work on you more. And through those months, through through those weeks, actually, I... um, um, I got to go to church more, and I got a, a, a family, a church family that I would go um, spend Sabbath with. I fell in love with Jesus Christ. Mm. It just became this, I don't want this to end, and that's what actually happened. The NBA was just, here I am. But now the NBA actually started almost taking second stage because I couldn't wait to go to church and I was doing my job. I was working. I was behind the bench watching the games. Fantastic. I was still in the arena. But then it wasn't until January. In January, one night, I couldn't sleep. So I called my mother, or my grandmother. 
I said, I woke up. Well, didn't wake up. I said, what do I do? What do I do? I'm having this battle going on. She goes, well, why don't you talk to a pastor at the church? So I called and, um, and said, I need to talk to someone. He goes, well, he goes, let's, you know, next week, what's your schedule? I said, no, I need to talk to someone now. And I, he goes, oh, okay, such gracious um, Pastor Tim Cross who baptized me. And um, um, I went there, and I told him my story. I told him everything. And I was crying, and I was just, um, what do I do? This is everything I dreamed about. This was everything, everything to me. I can't, God can't be telling me, you've got to leave. But he said, as I say, 360 degrees, complete in Christ. Chuck, you have to give me all. I'm not taking anything less anymore. I fell to my knees and I cried. And I said, I know what I got to do. I didn't leave at that time. I stayed until the end of this season. I thought that that was the right thing to do. And at the end of the season, um, uh, at the end of the season, I went, um, there was a battle going on the night before. Satan was just like, you don't need to do this. You don't need to do this. And it was like this was going to be the end of my life. I, I even told God, I said, if I don't make this decision, just go away from me. I don't want to feel this anymore. Through the years of my life, of you pricking my heart and me feeling this, I don't want to feel it anymore. If I don't make this decision for you, just the Holy Spirit go away. That's a very scary thing to even say. Sure. You know, I don't know if God would have really took me up on that. But I went in the next um, the next morning, and um, I said to the athletic trainer, we had a conversation before this of another story. I said, you know, I be, was became a born-again Christian. He's like, yeah, Chuck, I know. He wasn't quite in, um, in, in that arena. He thought hypocritical Christians, actually, mm. from the NBA and from players and that he saw all this. I said, well, with that, I said, I believe in the seventh-day Sabbath. And um, I'm wondering, could I be the assistant athletic trainer and uh, have Friday night games off and Saturdays? And he's looking at me. Well, that's like, a no. <laughs> it was pretty much a flat no. He said, I don't think that would work. You know, professional sports, they don't care what time of year. They yeah. don't care at all. And, and what we know is that God has an interesting way of working this out. We're going to find out more about that in just a second. Don't go away. Back with more with Chuck Tache and our conversation in just a moment. What does the Bible say about astrology? Why do bad things happen to good people? What color is Jesus? If you have a question, we'd love to find an answer for you from the Bible. Line up online from It Is Written TV. Welcome back to Conversations brought to you by It Is Written. I'm speaking with Chuck Tache. A moment ago, there you were working in the National Basketball Association for the Sacramento Kings. You, 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 
returned to your spiritual roots. You are now desiring to be a biblical Christian, keep the seven-day Sabbath, and you ask a sports organization if you can keep working for them but not working Friday nights or Saturdays. So how'd that work out for you? Well, uh, the head athletic trainer kind of looked at me. You know, we've, we've got, we, you know, we work hard. You work hard. That's, that's, he, that was his destination, too. So he knows what's in my heart to work in the NBA. That was his heart, too. So he's, like, looking at me like I'm, I'm crazy. He goes, I don't think that will work out. He said, well, I'll talk to the general manager. And so he goes, you just go home. As I went home. He gives me a call. He says, Chuck, he goes, sure you want me to do this? I said, yes, I want you to do this. Now, the battle is still going on. I could just feel Satan continuing to be like, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. At any time, you can change your mind. Hey, Chuck, you can still be a Christian. Come on. Be a good, do you realize how many people you could maybe um, reach as being a Christian in the NBA? And, uh, you know, but the Sabbath was still there. And. So he calls me a second time, um, and I said, just go. Don't call me. And I'm thinking, Lord, you know. And um, he calls me back, and he says, come on, come on in. I remember sitting there. I was standing by the taping table in the training room. And he looks at me. He goes, that won't work, Chuck. This won't work. He goes, so you have a decision to make. And I said, I, I knew it wasn't going to work. I mean, in my heart, I knew what was going to happen. And I said, he goes, I'll tell you what. You know, he, he, great guy. I, I, I love him to death. I, I just, I still do respect him so much. Great trainer. And um, he goes, I'll give you a month. You can think about things. He goes, work through things. What? He goes, but uh, he goes, it's not going to work. You have to make a decision. I said, I don't need a month. I've made my decision. And he just looked at me and he just said, okay, because um, I'll give you time alone to, you know, he'd left. And I remember walking through the locker room and, and uh, you have to, um, walking through the locker room. I remember walking in that locker room before when yeah. I first started and when I, and um, it was uh, just looking around. Oh, yeah. This was my dream. Sure. This was my life and cleaning out my, my desk and everything. I was, I started crying and uh, thinking to myself, what am I doing? What am I doing here? Get in my car and I was driving away. I don't know how God just does this thing. I looked in the rearview mirror. This is, it's almost like a movie going on here. Looked in the rearview mirror and I could see Arco Arena in the rearview mirror and I'm driving away and it's just getting, you know, smaller. I'm crying at this point. I'm just crying and I'm just, I'm probably, I'm shaking. Like, what am I doing? What am I doing? And I kind of just lifted up and I just said, Lord, I'm yours now. I'm yours. I'm completely yours. I don't have a job. I have no idea where I'm going. I'm here in California. Now what? At that time, I had the greatest peace in my heart. 
I ever experienced, ever. People that have given their life to Christ and just completely know that feeling. And it just, it was like taking a deep breath and going, everything's okay. I'm now with God. I am with Christ completely. Yeah, but you're with God completely and you're unemployed and you don't know where you're going next. So <laughs> you, there are a couple of things to resolve here, but you had peace yeah. and you were in the will of God. Yeah. So what did happen next? Well, uh, it took from, it was the end of April. It took actually, I didn't miss a paycheck. The head athletic trainer says, we're going to pay you up till June. Cool. I said, thank you, Lord, for that. Mm. And uh, so I started beating down. I said, I don't want to leave right away. I don't want to just go back to Pennsylvania or go back wherever and just start my life over again. I want to find a job and see if that pans out, what happens. So continued to pray and continue to say, door, Lord, open up doors. And um, uh, so I started talking to different physical therapy groups. And there was one physical therapy group. Uh, it was called Back to Work Physical Therapy. And I called them, actually, and said, um, do you have any positions open? And they were like, we just filled it. <sighs> okay. And I was in that area. And so I thought, well, I was going to drop my resume off, but I thought, no, why? They just, and I was at this one, I don't know if it was Staples or, or Kinko or whatever. And something said, Chuck, I can't open up doors that you don't knock on. Mm. So I, said, okay, well, I'll just drop my resume off. I went in there, dropped my resume off, and um, it was like, uh, that was, I think, a Friday. It was like on Monday, called me and said, hey, would you like to come in for an interview? I'm like, well, I went in for an interview, and here I am with the Kings. I was with the Sacramento Kings before, and they see that in my resume, and they're like, why are you here, kind of thing. And I didn't want to say anything, and um, uh, but gradually they... they um, worked on me and I said, look, I said, yeah, I was, was with the Sacramento Kings. I, I believe in the Seventh-day Sabbath. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. And, and uh, so I won't work on Friday night. And I won't work. And they were like, the person that actually managed the physical therapy was a Seventh-day Adventist. Oh, the Seventh-day how about Adventist. that? And the funny thing is the, the, um, the physical therapy aide um, that was there, um, a young woman, um, I started working with her. It was actually her. I was going to take her her shift, and it was more of a Friday night thing, you know. And, the, and they said to her, they said, um, "This this guy we want to hire, but you know, you'd have to stay. You have to do your shift." And she was like, "Just hire him." Well, it turns out that. Um, that woman is now my wife. No way. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, she actually is the one that hired me pretty oh, much. No way. Yeah. Aren't you glad you knocked on that door? Amen. That was I God tell speaking you what, to you, wasn't oh it? Oh, my heavens. Yes. That was fantastic. Uh, and a perfect woman for me. It How was about great. that? But then the second part of me coming back to the Kings, I worked in physical therapy, right? And, uh, and all of a sudden, the head athletic trainer gives me a call. The season was about to start. We actually were in a lockout. So the season was going on. Was, was going to be, but they weren't playing. And the athletic trainer calls me and says, hey, Chuck, come on out to dinner with me. And I'm like, okay. And um, we went out to dinner, and we're sitting there talking, and he was like, you know, he goes, uh, um, 
I enjoy working with you. And he goes, I, I, I want you to continue to be my athletic trainer. He goes, you'll have Friday night games off and Saturdays. And, uh, that's he about goes, unheard of in a professional you. organization like that. Very unheard of. It, it, I, I sat there looking at him like, this can't be happening. The professional sports does not work this way. And when the lockout ended, I started back, and that's when the pretty much the team came. The yeah. Chris Weber and the Vladi Divots and the Peja Stojakovic and Jason Williams was drafted at that time. And then you had Doug Christie, and um, you had uh, you know all those players, those role players, just fantastic really bench mob team. and so forth. And that was 1998, and um, we pretty much started taking the NBA off by storm. The incredible thing was, I, there was a new lease on life for me. Here I am. I'm in my in a desire of my heart that I wanted to be. Why God brought me there, I have no idea. But yet, I was praising my God the right way and complete in Him. So how, how was it different for you the second time around? I mean, you were a different person altogether. So how, how, what, what sort of eyes were you looking at the NBA through? It's still a very secular thing, very yeah. competitive, very uh, cutthroat on some level. You're dealing with extremely secular people. But you are this new individual now. So what changed? Well, um, I changed through God. And uh, the, the, the players were really great. They respected me. Um, there might have been, there were a couple of them that they gave me a, a hard time. But, um, and the, and the, but, but overall, you know, they, they appreciated me. And there were some Christians in those groups. And so they, they respected me in that fashion. The head athletic trainer, you know, uh, I can't say enough, uh, was, um, was fantastic with me, obviously brought me back and uh, respected me uh, and he was he was just great he was just great the players they would they would mess with me it would be friday and i would be going in we'd have shoot around in the morning and that was fine and then the game would be like a seven o'clock at night or something i'd, I'd arrive four o'clock in the afternoon four or so and and um, the sun didn't go down till maybe just before the game and they would be coming in, and I'd be taking care of them, you know, doing different things and um, and getting them ready for the game. And, and they would, you know, some of them would come in. They'd be like, Chuck, Chuck, it's almost sundown. You're going to turn into a pumpkin. You need to go. You need to leave. And I'd be like, guys, guys, uh, I'll handle this. I'm One, I'm here to take care of you. I'm not going to be here for the game, but I'm going to stay here to make sure you're okay and everything is okay. The game is set and then I'll leave you know it was actually tough for me to tell you the truth sure um when I left uh, very loyal person and um it was tough for me it worked on me it worked on me for three years yeah this this time you left I mean first time was on, on your own terms but this is really really on your own terms so what, what was the decision like to, to leave that the second uh, time the second time around. well so when I mean leave I meant I would In leave the, the arena sure. uh, before the game yeah and um, but like on Friday night, I would sit there and I'd be just like, oh, they're playing a game and they're playing a game without me. Not that I desired to be at the game, but I felt like I was some in some part letting down the team, and it worked on me there. Sure. The second time was actually uh, it was very much a it, it actually turned out to be a blessing. It was very much a blessing that um, 
After the third year, I was there for a total of four years, from 97 to 2001. And uh, we were making the playoffs every year. And I just have to say this before I said, I thought, we're going to win a championship. And I would talk to God and I would say, all right, Lord, um, we're, going to the, we're going to the championship, right? I'm going to get an NBA ring. I'm going to get that ring, you know, and I'm going to be sitting there as an NBA champion athletic trainer. And, uh, well, of course, with the Kings, that didn't happen. Uh, um, God, God said, I, I think that this was good because – Chuck, you don't have the ring, but I got a crown sure. of glory in heaven for you. That's right. And, you know, and so I, I rest in that. Uh, but the second time, you know, after three years, um, after the fourth year, but after the, when I gave my life to Christ, the head trainer said to me, we need to talk. I knew, it was about, knew what it was about. And um, we went into my office and he goes, you know, Chuck, I wish you would change your mind. Because I really, I wish I could sit here and just say, just change your mind about all of this. He says, but I know you won't. He says, oh, so I'm not even going to ask. I believe right there that's a, that's, that was a sign of respect that he sure. had for me. Oh, yeah. And, um, and, it, and it's good to be wanted, and it's good to have that. And, and I hope I, I did a good job for them. And I hope that the players, they respected me, but I hope someday, that why God brought me there hopefully was a witness. And I'm, and, and I'm not perfect. And I always told the guys, look, don't look at me as being perfect, a perfect Christian. Um, but I hope that maybe someday I'll see them in heaven mm, and they'll right. say, you know, Chuck, there was that prick of the heart that you gave me at that time. So maybe that was the reason. I don't know. But the head trainer said that. And I said, look, I never want to be a burden to anybody. So I will... Um, 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 I'll leave. It's no problem. And God has just blessed me throughout. I have a beautiful family, yes, and um, I run. I run now through my church a uh, sports league that we honor the Sabbath, and um, we have soccer on Sunday mornings or sometimes during the weekday now. But um, and I, I, I hope I glorify God. I um, through that, and I tell the kids, but not just the kids. I want the parents. I want people that are on that edge just like I was, that are like maybe playing church, not quite sold out for Christ, not complete. And all of a sudden they go, I want to be that. That's kind of where I'm at. I've got two more questions for you. One is, so what are you doing now? So I am a registered nurse. Um, uh, I'm a registered nurse at Folsom State Prison. I'm actually the nurse instructor. So I've been uh, in a state service, uh, in, a, in prison nursing for f- over 14 years. Mm. So it's still health-based? You're still helping still people? Health-based. You're still helping men? Still helping men. Yeah. And, uh, and you know what? I still, even though, even in a secular area, and particularly in a state, state service, you know, in regards to sharing your faith and that, but, you know, I, not necessarily with inmates, it's very tough, you know, sure. in regards to... Uh, the over-familiarity. But, yeah, but, but I, people know I what share, you're about. They know what you yeah. stand for. They, they yeah. get your values. Yeah. You transmit a certain something. So God's I still speak got about my faith. On the front lines of ministry yeah. there. Yeah. Here's, here's another thing I want to ask you. So you're raised to know the Lord, took a detour, got sucked into this vortex of professional sports. It's captivating. It's intoxicating. It's exhilarating. And God got you out of there by some miracle. Often that's just the absolute end of a person spiritually. But for you, it was not. 
Talk for a minute to that kid, or maybe not even a kid, who's captivated by sport. It might not even be sport, but sports we were at. And they feel that pull. And they're thinking, how do I resist that? What do I do? I got a scholarship. I've got an offer. Or I just plain love it. This is my desire. You've been through that, and it worked out great for you. You're in a fantastic job. You've got a great family. You've got a good head on your shoulders. a wonderful future and a great present. Speak to that person now and, and, and help us to explain how you can look to the future and say, if I just do this God's way, it's really going to work out. What you say, it's so, so tough. And I was talking to a kid on the Sabbath. Um, um, this is just a Sabbath. What do you say to that? It's such a pull. And you loving athletes and sports and me loving athletes and sports. And when you love that, you want to reach the top. You can picture yourself in the NFL or in the NBA or in professional golf, you know, the PGA. You can picture yourself there. And um, then there's this God thing. And, and sometimes it feels like that this is, um, it's, it's taken away from what I want. What I've learned is this world is, this is we're in a secular world. There are good things. I love athletics. I love sports. But the world is not Christian-based, and it's not godly-based. And so it's going to run its own course. It's going to run its own circle. And unfortunately, we have to look at that and go, well, how far can I go? And what do I do with this struggle? Of I want to be there. I can only say this, that if you go there, you're missing something here. And eventually, I honestly believe that you're void here, that you will always be, there's, there will be a pulling and a draw. It happened with me for years and years. This right here is eternal. It's just and it's the greatest peace. It's the greatest feeling. It's the greatest that you can ever, ever have. I mean, you can sit there and you can win a Super Bowl or win that ring. But everything's sweeter with Christ. Everything is. And let's say you don't get that ring. And you choose God. Oh, God will honor you. He may open up doors that you have no idea. He did for me. I worked in the NBA with the Sabbath off. How does that happen? But then God says, hey, all right, it's about time to leave. And I knew that because my desire was now not that. We look so much into our desires of looking at all this. When we get there, our desire actually turns back here. You see that in so many testimonies. Why is it that people have to listen to testimonies of people coming back to Christ, particularly those that are raised to know who, the love of Christ? Why do they have to learn all of this stuff out here just to go, hey, I'm back. I have a great testimony. Well, God brought you back. The, the testimony is God's story. You're not great. I'm not great. It's, he that, it's him that's great, you know. And that's what, I don't know how else to answer that. I've got one more question for you. 
there was something going on in your mind and your heart. You called your grandmother. I'd like to tell you I know the answer, but I'm wondering if you're thinking the same thing. What brought about this sensitivity, this change in your heart? What was going on in the background that you started to hear the voice of God cutting through all this? What do you think it was? I think that um, I started learning. And uh, thank you for that story because this is this is great. I I fell in love, and um, there's sometimes we walk in our Christian walk, and it's tough sometimes when you're maybe raised in it, and that that that, that deep love. Well, I was falling in love. It's like falling in love with a woman. I was falling in love with Jesus Christ. I was falling in love with his way in realizing the purposefulness that he has for me and what that was all about. And I didn't want to give that up. I didn't. I, I, that was the desire now. And um, there was no turning back. I, I, there, was, I, there was no rest. I was falling in love and I wanted to. I wanted to marry Jesus. <laughs> I, I get this idea that maybe your grandmother was praying for you. There's no doubt about it. She says, oh, she prayed for me every, and you know, she saw me in some conditions sometimes in my uh, younger years. They never said a word. They never said a word. They'd take me out to breakfast. And Just love I'd be in it. They loved me. They never said a word on anything. They never criticized me. Um, they just loved me. That's what it takes. Hey, thanks for being here. This has been great. Deeply appreciated. Thank Deeply you. Deeply appreciated. Thank you. Thanks I, so much. Um, it's a pleasure telling my story and, and glorifying God. Amen. Thank you. From the kings to the king of kings. He's Chuck Tashe. I'm John Bradshaw. This has been our conversation. Thanks for being here.